Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friend. Welcome to another episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh, life coach, recovering alcoholic and entrepreneur. And thank you for hanging out and spending some time with me today. I hope you're doing something really fabulous and healthful while you're listening to this today. Like maybe you're out for a walk or a run with your earbuds in, or you're working out at the gym, or maybe you're taking some quiet time to just have your eyes closed and decompress and just take a little time to yourself. All of those things sound fantastic to me. So I hope you're doing one of them or maybe something even better. I'm excited to get into this topic with you guys today because I know I'm preaching to the choir when I talk about the struggles that we have in recovery. And a lot of the things we talk about are not only about recovery. This is life stuff, right? I'm a life coach. And I'm a life coach because I had to change and grow in all the areas of my whole life when I got sober. So where a lot of people may think like working with addiction is different than working as a life coach, but it's all the same stuff, you guys. We're growing up, we're recovering, we're healing our lives, we're healing ourselves. And oftentimes, especially in early sobriety, like when you're really early on just getting sober. I know for me, my life was a mess. And that's a pretty common story. There's family problems, relationship problems, financial problems, job problems, right? We got a lot of problems because we create quite a mess. Now listen, plenty of people that don't have addiction create a mess too. Don't feel like don't feel like that we've got exclusive rights to having a messy life because that's not how it is at all. This is part of being human. So we have to heal all these different areas. And something I've really been focused on in the last several months is trying to expand to talk about more of those areas of life. Because again, I have burnt my life to the ground and had to rebuild it in every way you could imagine. And the thing that I want to get into today is financial stuff. I want to talk more about this because this was a huge thing for me. And these aren't things also that are specific to early recovery. Like there were a lot of issues that I dealt with that didn't even pop up until years into my recovery, or I wasn't even aware of until years into my recovery. So this isn't about what stage you're in. This is just about life. When we are In active addiction, for sure, whenever we start using drugs or drinking regularly, or if yours is a behavioral addiction, same thing, right? We start using the substance or the behavior as our coping mechanism. That's how we numb. That's how we escape. The problem with that is when we're using something to numb and escape, we don't develop any coping skills. So we just numb and escape, and we never learn how to cope with life. And that's how we create all these struggles. One of my biggest struggles in my active addiction, for sure, but really my whole life, even before that, I was so irresponsible, you guys. I was so irresponsible with money. 
it, it really, it's terrifying when I think about it now. And this isn't something like, I wasn't raised like that. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, my mom is like the most responsible person on the planet. I'm not sure what happened to me, but I just couldn't grasp it. And probably because I had so many issues around money, I had so many insecurities and so much anxiety around money, and I was super irresponsible. I was exactly the person that would take all my money and go buy a new Louis Vuitton handbag instead of paying my rent. That was me. And I'd be like, oh, whatever, I'll make the money back later. Like, I was so reckless. So when I had to get sober at 33, right? I didn't magically grow up and become financially responsible just because I quit drinking. This was a whole other piece of my journey. And you may have heard me say before, you know, I have destroyed my credit and rebuilt it. I don't even know how many times, probably three, four times in my adult life. And it used to really freak me out, but I think I just got good at it. So it doesn't freak me out anymore. And finally, at some point, I got good at not being irresponsible, right? I grew up, I got responsible. I started making different things a priority, right? Paying my bills and doing it on time became a priority to me. But I'm telling you, it was years into my sobriety before I could even start working on that part of my issues. And I know so many of you are dealing with the same stuff. And it's so incredibly stressful when you're sitting in this position. And you're going to hear me talk about this more in this episode too. When you're sitting in the position that you just have zero money and you owe everybody and everything is late and every single time the phone rings, it's a bill collector. And I cannot tell you what a dark place that took me to. Just sad, depressed, humiliated, ashamed. I felt so horrible being in that space, especially as an older adult, right? So I really want to start digging into these topics more. And I'm making a lot of these things a part of my membership community. You know, I have a membership, Sober Society. And in that member community, it's getting a huge makeover right now. And if you've been thinking about joining, you will want to do that because the cost is going to go up soon, not for existing members, but for new members because Sober Society is getting a whole makeover. So all of you that are already members have probably been seeing some changes in there. And I'm going to unveil the big makeover pretty soon. But if you're thinking about joining, get in there. But I'm adding all of these lifestyle pieces, right? We need to talk more about solutions around financial issues, relationship issues, food issues, all of that stuff. And we're really going to start adding some great pieces and some great leaders and thought leaders around those topics in the Sober Society membership on a monthly basis. So to introduce one of them today is Derek Faber, and he does credit repair. One of the things I loved in meeting Derek and starting to get to know him more is he also has been through all of this in his personal journey. And I love connecting with people who have been through it because you know they understand. And for me, that takes a lot of the shame away from talking about it, right? It's not like, 
I'm sitting with a 450 credit score talking to somebody with an 850 credit score where I have to feel ashamed and humiliated and embarrassed, right? When you talk to somebody who's walked the walk, they understand and there's no judgment. There's a lot of love and acceptance and you'll definitely find that with Derek. So he's going to be contributing in the Sober Society. You can hire him to help you with your credit if you want, but we're going to put together a ton of resources to teach you how to do finances, how to do your credit, how to fix it, understand how it works. Because as you recover, you're growing in every area. And this is one of those huge areas that most of us need a lot of growth in. And some of us too, we quit drinking or quit our substance, whatever, we start shopping our little faces off. So then it becomes an issue also. So I just want to add this to our toolbox and make this a part of what we're doing and give it some focus and have some conversation because I want to help you in every way I possibly can. I hope you love this episode. Get in Sober Society. I will link it in the show notes. If you want to get in there, do it quick because the cost is going to go up and we are adding a lot of incredible stuff in there. I'm so proud of it and I'm so excited for it. Let's welcome Derek Faber. Hey, Derek, thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with me. I am super excited to dig into this conversation because it's something that is very near and dear to my heart um, with financial issues. You know, so many of us, when we get sober, we have created a bit of a mess in our lives and financial issues are one of the messes that we create a lot. And I have been through this certainly as an entrepreneur as well, right? Not only as an alcoholic, but also in entrepreneurship where I have built my credit and destroyed my credit a few times over. So <laughs> I, I know firsthand the stress of this situation, and I really wanted to bring some insight and relief to my audience and talk about some of these things. So thank you for being willing to come on and share your expertise with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I, I really am honored and I, I'm excited um, to get to get to know more about you and and especially your community. Yeah, for sure. So why don't you take just a second and let everybody know a little bit about you, what you do, and what led you to do what you do? Yeah. So I um I grew up in a, a family where my dad's been a CFO since I was born, pretty much, and um he had the mentality of lead by example with not a lot of explanation. And um, when it came time through my teenage years, he was more of a, I learned the hard way, so you get to learn the hard way. Uh, and as I went through college, my first day of college, I walked towards the registration office and got to what I call the famous table where there was a free t-shirt offered for you just sign up for a credit card. And that, that free t-shirt ended up costing me thousands of dollars in interest because I just didn't know. Uh, and then as I've gotten older and made lots of mistakes, I've I've gone through a bankruptcy. I've had a house repossessed. I've been divorced. I now have a child who's 18. I've appreciated the fact that I've struggled um, so that I can have that passion to minimize the struggle of others. And that started with my daughter in that she didn't have very many opportunities to learn about finances. And in between credit and taxes, all of a sudden you get this you're 18 or considered an adult in society, go learn and make all these mistakes and 
hope to succeed. And we always joked in high school is the man's either keeping you down or the rich are getting richer, but we never really understood how. And now that I understand how, I want to empower others to make better decisions so you can live a better life for yourself. Yeah, for sure. I so appreciate too that, you know, you talking about your story and the things that you've been through because it is the mistakes are so hard, you know, when you're making them and when you're in the midst of them and digging your way out of the hole that you've dug, like it's so hard and it's so stressful. But at the same time, it is how you learn all the greatest lessons. It is through hardship and adversity and making those mistakes is how you get strong. So it's like you have to do one to be able to do the other. You know, that is how we learn. Yeah, no, I mean, there's all kinds of analogies, whether it's um, pressure making you that diamond and and all those different things. But when you look, you go back and look at life, it's the pain that you have. If, if you're living in a, in a life that you're just passive and you don't feel that desire for change, you're not going to do anything to change. And so it's you have to go through those painful moments for you to make that decision to either educate yourself or make make better decisions to make that change. And until you get to that point, um, you, you have to want to do it yourself. And that's part of what I had to accept in this business is that I can't put it on my shoulders to drag somebody across the finish line. I have to help empower them and their decision making to get there themselves and give them that education so they can do it. Because ultimately, you can be a great motivational speaker and you can do whatever you can, but you're not going to make decisions for people in every day. And especially in finances, people don't want to be told what to do with their money. They just want to learn how to make better decisions so they're still in power and control of their own finances. I just wanted it to go away. <laughs> that, yeah. Was, yeah. that was my desire. I just wanted it to go away. And and listen to my, I was so irresponsible. You know, I made a lot of money from a very young age. I never had to think about money or budget or anything like that. And it really stunted my growth in all of those areas, right? So once I was an actual adult and then I had to get sober at 33. I had to start learning all that stuff. Like really emotionally, I was only probably 17, 18 years old. Like I didn't grow up all those years, especially with finances. I was a, um, I was the person that I was a bartender. You know, I lived in Los Angeles. I made a lot of money and I was the person that would go like spend every dime I had on a new Louis Vuitton handbag and be like, whatever, I'll pay rent next week. You know, <laughs> like that was how I approached my life. And when I got sober, that didn't magically change, right? I still had all of those same bad decision-making habits and outlooks and, and I still had all that irresponsibility. So then I had to really grow up as an adult, which is something we say in recovery a lot. Um, cause that's really what it is, is just growing up. And most of us are a little behind the ball. So <laughs> I know for me, one of the things that was a huge struggle and I touched on this a second, right before we started recording, a huge struggle for me was when I really wanted to start figuring out my credit and I wanted to start making better choices and understanding the process better and fixing my mistakes, you know, the first thing they tell you to do is get a copy of your credit report. And I had so much shame 
about my credit report, you know, that it was, it felt almost impossible to just get a copy. Like I didn't want to see it almost like if I don't see it with my own eyes, maybe it's not real. Right. And ignorance is bliss in so many different areas and especially with credit and finances. And you have this mentality of, okay, I know that I'm bringing in this much money per month. And as long as I don't spend more than that, then I'm getting by and everything's going to be okay. And I, I think last week I had heard, I think the average age for somebody who's even starting to save for their retirement is like 54 years old. And by the time you're in your mid fifties, you're not retiring until either the day you die or close to mid seventies or eighties, because you haven't given yourself enough time to get that nest egg. And it's sad. And, and I don't think we were put on this earth just to get by until the day we die. Mm -hmm. And, and that's part of educating yourself and arming yourself with this knowledge so that you can just make better decisions. It's not about making lifestyle changes and wanting to become a multimillionaire that drives a Lamborghini. It's getting the same car you have, but paying $150 a month less because you have a better interest rate. It's those little changes that you can make right now and give you a better life right now, not in the future, not for, not for your kids, but the more better life that you can create for yourself right now is going to give that ripple effect for your family, for your future, for your health, for who you are right now. Yeah, no doubt. I think something that also made it feel more unattainable to me is like credit to me always felt very punitive, right? It was so punishing. Like if you miss this payment, we're going to ding your score. Like it's very punishing. And Years ago, I think it's definitely different now, but years ago, it seemed like you could bring your score down very quickly, but it took a lot longer to get it back up. Now it happens pretty quickly both ways, you know, so you can. And I think that's the message I really want to put out too is it is fixable. You can fix this and you can see some results pretty quickly. You can see your score go up pretty quickly with making a few simple changes, but it does require better decision-making and it does require some discipline. And, you know, I talk about a time in my life that I had, you know, I owed a bunch of money and I lost uh, my first business many years ago and I had to cut my lifestyle down to nothing because I owed a lot of money from losing my business. And I literally had to cut my lifestyle down to nothing. I moved into this little bitty tiny apartment that was like $6.50 a month. Like I didn't buy myself a Starbucks coffee for almost two years, you know, and that's the sacrifice I had to make in that time to get back on my feet. And it's the same way with your credit and your finances. Like you can't think of it as an overnight thing or be mad when your score doesn't go up 150 points in two months. Like it is going to take some time and it does take some sacrifice. So for somebody that might be just starting that process today, how would you recommend they get started? So there's... When you're building a, a foundation in any any part of life, and especially in recovery, you have to do a lot of self-reflection. You have to understand who you are, and you have to understand your strengths and your weaknesses, and you have to put yourself into position to succeed. There's clients of mine that are like, I cannot do a credit card because I'm going to go max it out. And I'm like, great, you already know that. I would rather know that now than find that out three months from now. 
So then we'll get you a credit card account and you'll never bring that credit card outside of your bedroom or you'll even shred it. All you need to know is the numbers on it and we'll set up auto pay on your utilities that you're already paying anyway. And then you'll just make the payments like you're already doing anyway. I don't want to add more bills to you. I just want things to go a little bit smoother and do things with purpose. And so the first thing is really like pull up a bank statement and see where you're spending your money. Because it's really easy to say, I can't afford something before you even know what the cost of it is. But if you go back and see where your money's going, you can say sacrifices, like you were saying, what can I do to curb my spending so that I can afford this? Then it becomes a choice. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer to go out to eat every night of the week? Or are you going to cut it back to two or three nights? Do you prefer getting to Starbucks every morning? Or can you make it yourself two or three times and make it more of a special event for yourself? These aren't things I'm telling people to do but I'm opening people's eyes so they are making those decisions themselves. And then we have a good foundation to go with. And then the next step really is understanding how credit works. Um, there's five components to a FICO store and the first two make up 65% of the whole score. So really, if you just focus on two areas, you can get yourself over 650 points, not overnight, but just understanding how it works can influence your decisions so that you set yourself up for success. And that's all we really need in life is to understand how your decisions are interacting with your future end goal and then making the right decisions to empower yourself for success and minimize the, the risk so that you're not setting yourself up for failure. That's so good too, to just start thinking about those small things, like you're saying, like cutting out the coffee, whatever the thing is. I know for me in that time too, like I cut cable because my cable was almost $200 a month, which is absurd for television, you know, but I am a TV addict, so I, I was willing, but, <laughs> but just to think outside the box, like what are a lot of those little expenses? And also, you know, when you get comfortable spending, you really lose sight of what you're spending on. And when you do something now, like look at a bank statement and see where your money is going, that is a very humbling experience. When I started to realize how much money I spent on fast food and, you know, like the majority of my transactions are food related, whether it's going to the store or going to a restaurant, it's like, oh my gosh, like, what am I really doing? This is crazy. But to, I love that you said that, you know, think outside the box and get creative with some things that maybe don't feel like so much of a sacrifice. So you have a better chance of following through. And don't take the things that make you happy away from yourself. Get creative and figure out other ways to continue that happiness. Just because you have a morning cup of coffee every day doesn't mean you stop. Maybe you make it yourself or you, like I said, you make it a treat. You do it in a way where you're still giving yourself happiness. And because if you're if you're making this a miserable experience and, and journey, you're going to stop doing it. That's and right. As you're doing this journey, you're going to start to realize that there's more trade off than financial gain. You're going to start to see, OK, I'm spending two hundred dollars a month on a cable bill that I really enjoy. But what if I cut that back to Netflix only for twenty dollars a month? I binge the shows I watch. I watch what I want. But now I've got time to go to the park or go outside or exercise and add more value to your life that you may be missing and you just don't realize. Well, Derek, we didn't have Netflix back then. Well. <laughs> <laughs> we have all those options now. Right. <laughs> but it is, it is prioritizing too. You know, one of the things um, 
talking about that, you know, the payoff that you get and and what this really opens up for, I want to speak on the other side of that in what it really costs you, right? Being financially irresponsible, being behind on your bills where your debts, your credit card debt especially gets so big that you can't even keep up. You can't afford to pay your bills. Like I think most of us have had those times, right? Where the money coming in is less than the money going out. And I know for me, those were some of the most stressful, sad, depressed times of my life. And when every single time my phone rang, it was a bill collector, right? So every time I looked at my phone, it was this reminder of the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment and like, you suck, you're a bad person, you can't get it together, what's wrong with you? You know, every single time the phone rang. And something I did in my last stint with um, with this years ago was I blocked all the numbers. And I know uh, debt collectors will not like to hear that, but I literally couldn't take it. I mean, mentally and emotionally, it was taking such a toll on me, even to a point of having some suicidal thoughts. Like I just felt like I would never be able to get out of this. And it was nonstop all day, my phone ringing with debt collectors. And there was just nothing I could do. And so I did, I blocked all those numbers. And it was also, you know, the hopefully the final humbling moment that got me to go, okay, Angela, you really got to get it together here. This isn't how you want to live your life. Like you've got to figure out how to reprioritize and make better choices because you can't live in this kind of stress. And that was so hard for me. And I didn't realize that part of the toll it takes on you, right? It's not just about getting better interest rates and saving money on your mortgage or your car payment. Like there is an emotional and psychological component to this that costs a lot. And you have a different level of confidence when you know you've got your stuff together. So and, true. And like I, I told my, my daughters, I've got two daughters and to, I preach to them, the most attractive part of any woman that a real man will tell you is your confidence. Self-confidence mm-hmm. is the so attractive. And when you don't have it, that's when people prey on you. Mm-hmm. But when you do have it and you and you walk with that air, that's when you have people's respect. Mm-hmm. And you deserve that respect. But unfortunately, it takes you to get to almost a breaking point for you to realize that you need to change what you're doing in order to get that respect. So you mentioned earlier, um, you mentioned bankruptcy. And this is something that I'd like to touch on. I know we can't go in a crazy detail about it because it's a very big topic. And luckily, you are going to be a part of our Sober Society membership community. So we can go in more detail in the Sober Society. But I would love to know for people out there that are struggling with this, because, you know, coronavirus has brought on a whole new set of issues with finances and and mortgage and all of those things. Um when do you know, or how do you assess when is it time to file for bankruptcy? I can't think of a time that I've actually recommended somebody file for bankruptcy. Most of the time, the people that you owe money to are willing to work with you on a plan to get out of that because it's cheaper for them to know that they don't have to fight to get paid than to deal with all that. And even if they go through that, they're not guaranteed the full balance. So they want to, they want to not have to spend money to chase you around. 
um, especially with what we've gone through with COVID, we all know that our lives are totally different today than they were two years ago. Yeah. And so as we, as, as we have changed and grown and matured and understand that we need to take care of our debts, um, communication is scary. Um, asking permission to change a plan that you've signed a contract with is not easy. And there's always a chance they're going to say no, but where are you going to be differently than if they say no, than where you are right now? Um, and, and even through COVID, there's home mortgages, there's auto loans. The lenders, if you called them and said, listen, I'm going through a tough time. I need three, give me three months. I, they will push your p- payments to the end and roll it over to the end of your, of your ex- extended period of time and give you that three months of no payments. You just have to not be afraid to ask for it. Uh, credit card companies will move your your due dates. You have to be willing to be vulnerable and say, I'm hurting right now. It's obvious you're seeing this because I'm late month after month, but I don't want to be. How can I partner with you to get caught up so that we can turn this negative account into a positive account and then come up with a plan to do that? I love that. That's so good. And they really are most places really are willing to work with you, especially when you reach out to them. I just was always too scared, right? And too ashamed. I mean, that's really what it came down to is I just felt like a loser. You know, I I was so shame filled about being in that position and so embarrassed to even talk to somebody on the phone. It was just really hard. And, but a lot of that comes down to your mindset because when you are wanting something from somebody else, you want to feel like a person. But in the back of your mind, you realize in most cases, especially with big companies, you're just a number to them. So when they need something for you and your pride's in the way, tell yourself you're just a number to them. You're mm-hmm. not that person that they're going to judge or care that much mm-hmm. about. You're that that number to them that they want to get back on the positive side of their sheet so they're not chasing you down for a payment. And then your apprehensions and the the feelings that you're having about yourself are not as important because you're not important to them. and. Sometimes and it sucks to say, but you the way you approach things is some is mo- most of the time the biggest barrier you have is your yourself. For and so sure. So if you remove yes. yourself from that equation and stop making it about you, you can get a whole lot more done. For sure. Yeah. So I have heard in various places that when it comes to debt, that you start paying off your smallest debt first. Is that a good way to approach? Like you figure out how much you owe all these different places, whether it's school loans, medical bills, credit card bills, whatever the thing is, do you start with the smallest first to build some momentum? So it, it really depends on your end goal. So like with student loans, normally that's your biggest uh, debt anyway, but it's also a pretty low interest government backed loan. That's not going to be as financially of an obstacle to, to, to just make your minimum payments on. And it actually is really good for your credit if you're just making them on time. Um, a lot of times what I like to do is get a sheet of paper and just write down the name of the account, the interest rate you're paying, the balance, and then the available credit, and then figure out where to attack. Um, the reason that people say to start the smallest accounts first is that you feel like you're gaining momentum. Right. It, it has nothing to do with what's necessarily best for you because the best way of approaching it would be to find the highest interest rates and pay those off first mm. because then you're paying less money to the banks. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes those are the ones that 
you feel like you're taking forever on and you're not getting that momentum. And that's when you're like, I just want to file bankruptcy and be done because then I don't have to deal with this anymore. So again, it goes back to knowing you, knowing how many accounts there are, how much debt there is, and which way is going to give you the momentum so you don't stop until you're actually done doing it. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But it is nice to have that sense of accomplishment. And when I, so when I've heard that in the past, you know, start with the smallest one, like that makes sense because you feel like you're making some headway in something that otherwise can feel really daunting and unattainable. And it's so daunting and it feels unattainable. And that's like the other thing you need to do is celebrate the small victories. Because if you look at this mountain of debt, 50 grand, I mean, to everybody's mountain of debt is different. Even five grand or even $500 can be unsurmountable to some people. And that's fine. That's your journey. But when you finally pay off that first $50, go sit at Starbucks with a $5 drink and just let the air go through your, your hair and just enjoy life that I accomplished something because that's what's going to give you the next strength to go to the next step and the next right. step and the next step. You're not going to do it overnight, but celebrating yourself along the way is what's going to help propel you to that next area. One of the things I love now too is that there are companies where you can add your rent, you know, where you can have your rent payments added to your credit and utilities. That's pretty cool too because that's something that I think everybody should do because why wouldn't you? You know, I mean, how beautiful to have your cell phone actually report, like we're all going to pay that bill, you know, <laughs> but to be able to utilize some of those things that you're definitely paying anyway and have it count in your favor. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that I really try to tie into, especially when people have goals for getting a home, because it used to be that only a home mortgage would help build your credit and be a, a major part of your credit. But now there are ways to report your rent. Um, again, it goes back to understanding the different ways and, and avenues that those are because there's three major credit bureaus and some of them only report to one or two. So you want to make sure you're getting into the ones that are going to go to the most amount of them, preferably all three, um, so that you're getting your score to go up on all three credit reports and not just one or two of them. Yeah, that's a whole other issue is these three credit bureaus and how different they are and how overwhelming and confusing that is too. It's like, I'll look at my credit score and then I remember one time years ago, this is probably, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago, I was trying to buy something and I had cash and I was like, oh, well, let me see. I'll just get a card and start, you know, having that build on my credit. Because again, as a bartender for many years, I just paid cash for everything because back then it was a cash world. Everybody didn't have debit cards and whatever. It was a cash world. And I just paid cash for everything. So I was also quite a bit older and I literally had no credit. So that was another obstacle, you know, not that I had negative history, but I had a low credit score because I had no credit history at all. So I was trying to buy something and I thought, well, let me, um, let me finance it. And then I'll have this payment going to report to my credit and grow my credit. And I literally all in the same week, I got declined for the $1,500 furniture I was trying to buy. And I got approved for a Lexus within five days of each other. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is happening right now? <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things that we could talk about for hours where like there's two different store scoring systems. There's Vantage and then there's FICO. And then the FICO is what most lenders look at, but there's like over 20 different variables and scoring systems that they look at. So it really depends on what you're buying, why you're buying it, and what the person granting you the credit is looking for, whether you're even going to get approved or not. 
And when you're starting off with nothing, you, it's it's just like everything else in life. You got to build a foundation. You got to prove that you're worthy of somebody giving you money. Uh, I, it's easy to think of it from a major sa- scale, like you're going to buy a house. I've never met you before, but yet you want me to give you $200,000 and let you pay it off over 30 years. Well, I'm going to want to see some proof you can handle that and I'm not going to lose my money. It, it's even when you go buy a cell phone, your cell phone company is going to pull your credit because they're unless you're paying with cash or paying for the phone all up front, you're financing it through them. That is based on your credit. Your car insurance, they look at your credit to see how worth if they're going to get their payment or you're just going to get that policy to go get your registration done. And then you're going to cancel it, and not pay anymore for 11 months. Oh, yeah, they I did that, that too when I was young. <laughs> they have to do that to make sure that they're not there. They have to have risk reward, too. And they got to make sure, sure. That, that you're worthy of that. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. It is hard. Do you recommend getting a, a copy of your credit report and tell people how to do that because I'm kind of shocked. I have a lot of these conversations with um, guys in my sober living houses and I'm kind of amazed sometimes that people don't even know that you can get a free copy of your credit report every year. And if you apply for credit and are declined, you can get a copy of your credit report. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, you sh- you're guaranteed every 12 months to be able to get a free credit report. Um, now I struggle. I, I, I normally don't send people there cause I use credit monitoring software. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a monthly fee. Um, but I can find that out. Um, but yeah, you, you, you do get access to your reports and you should look at your reports every, every year at the minimum. Um, the reason I say that is, is four out of five people in our country have inaccuracies on their credit reports. And when I first started doing this, um, I, I start with myself and my wife. And um, despite the fact that she was pleasantly surprised that one credit bureau thought she was four years younger than herself, it was an, an inaccuracy on her report that people don't realize when you go to apply for a job, they can do a soft pull on your report and compare it to the application just to see if you're lying to them. And as simple as a birth date being off, an address being off, Anything that's going to disqualify you or put someone up above you, you could lose a job over without even knowing what you did wrong. And they don't have to disclose that. Yeah, I remember in my late teens, early 20s, like one of my cousin's apartment ended up on my credit somehow. So the credit reporting agencies or credit bureaus get their for-profit companies that get paid based on the amount of information they provide. So if they're, if if the apartment complex mm-hmm. reports the contract between two individuals, they'll throw all of that information in there and they don't care whether it's accurate. They don't care if, if your name is tied with someone else's that's not supposed to because now there's one additional piece of information tied to a different social security number that they're getting paid for every time someone asks for it because it's just one more piece of information. Yeah, I think the free, I think it's, to get your free credit report every year is just freecreditreport.com, I think. And I will look that up for you guys. I, for all the listeners, I will look that up and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, freecreditreport.com is one. Annualcreditreport.com is one. But there's one, the official one. Oh, okay. Because just like anything else, they say that they're free, but then you're going to get spammed with ads or they're going to sell your email mm-hmm. address. And mm-hmm. so you're going to get a bunch of spam from it. Um, there's a lot of places when, when the government mandates something, they they realize that there's a way to monetize it. 
Mm-hmm. So they'll stay within the guidelines, but then they're going to add their uh, their way to, to make it and for them to bring in some revenue, whether it's selling your information on it in a different way. So here it is. It's annualcreditreport.com is the, the actual source um, for all three free credit reports. Okay, perfect. And I will link that in the show notes for everybody. And Derek, thank you again for having this conversation with me. For anybody that's in the Sober Society membership, you will see more um, credit and financial tips coming up with Derek. You can also hire him to help you with your credit stuff. I will link to him in the show notes as well. Derek, is there any last parting words you want to give our listeners? Just, I want you to, to realize we've all been there. Yeah. And that there's no judgment and that the first step is just knowing where you're at and creating a plan to get out of it and then just implementing the plan. It's it's it seems overwhelming, but it's if you take it a step at a time and you set yourself up with people that want to support you, then you're going to get through it. And it's it may seem like the end of the world, but it's not. Yeah. Agreed. I love that. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.